I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. A child's education is one of the most important issues for parents. In our country, access to quality education is one of the key pillars of success. But are all opportunities for education equal? The straight answer is no. Private schools and public schools have vastly different resources to apply to the education they offer, with private schools having much more money to work with. So, when the Education Savings Account Program, Tennessee's school voucher program, was launched late in July, supporters of public education raised their concerns. How will school vouchers help families? What will they take away from public education? What do we need to know about the future of education in Middle Tennessee? Later this hour, we'll talk with parents, teachers, and experts to get their views. But first, during the summer protests of 2020, activists demanded that Nashville invest more in community-based safety efforts instead of policing. The mayor's office responded by setting aside $2 million for groups that are already doing that work. The rollout has been slow. And so far, community groups have only gotten a fraction of that money. WPLN criminal justice reporter Paige Flager has been following the story, and she joins us now. Hey, Paige, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So take us back to the beginning. Where did this all start? Yeah, so like you were saying, you know, it started back on the streets during the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020 during the summer. People really were calling for more investment on some into some of these groups who are already doing the work on the ground. They have credibility in their communities and they're trying to prevent violence or address some of the root causes of violence like poverty or hunger. How did the city respond? So, like you said, the mayor's office set aside this $2 million chunk of money for these groups that are already doing the work. Uh, but it's been pretty vague about how exactly the money is being doled out, to who, how much. So I wanted to kind of nail down, you know, it's been a couple of years since we started having this conversation. Mm. How much money has gone out into the community? So you asked the city's community safety coordinator, Ron Johnson, about it. How did that go? Yeah, so Ron Johnson is a longtime violence interrupter. He has a lot of credibility with these groups that are doing this work in the city. But now he's also part of the mayor's office heading up the community safety initiatives. And the budget that we're talking about, this $2 million chunk, uh, it's, it's for him and his staff. Uh, but he also helps other people to apply for money from from this fund. Uh, so I sat down with him for an interview. And when I asked him how much money was in the fund, he didn't really have a solid sense. The, the exact numbers, I don't know. I know that we had uh, there was a million dollars that was put into um this uh, program when they hired me as community safety coordinator. And, you know, I was pretty sure that it was more than just that million. And so I followed up to ask for the specifics. Yeah, I think this is just a little too complicated to really just kind of go into. Let's keep it real simple. Hmm. So how did you get answers? Yeah, so they told me that they would provide those numbers to me uh, after the interview. When I followed up to ask about that, they told me to file a records request with the finance department. Uh, so it took a couple of days to, to finally get the spreadsheet that showed me, you know, how much money was there, how much money they've given out so far, uh, and to who. What did you find with that? 
Yeah. So of that $2 million, the mayor's office has only doled out about $270,000 on community groups so far. The mayor's office responded this morning to some of our reporting uh, and said that, you know, that's on a reimbursement basis. So they're saying, you know, yes, that number looks small, but they're giving out the money based on when people are filing their expenses. Um, about a third of the spending has been doled out in $5,000 million, or $5, grants, excuse me, and then the rest has been divided among uh, five groups. All right. So, you know, w- were these numbers as complicated as Ron Johnson made it seem? You know, it... it it is always complicated when you've got a lot of different people um, asking for money. You've got a lot of different parts, a lot of different grants, too, based on the size of the organization. You qualify for different amounts of grants. Um, looking at the spreadsheet, I think the thing that was a little bit confusing and where a lot of the confusion lies is how much money was set aside versus how much money has actually been given out to the groups. And what I was interested in was how much money has actually been given out so far. Okay, so tell me about some of the groups that have received the funding thus far. Yeah, so some of them have really clear ties to community safety. We're talking, there's a group called Pass the Beauty, which works with domestic violence survivors or Nashville peacemakers, Miss Clemmy Greenlee, which tries to prevent young people from joining gangs. Uh, Others are a little bit less obvious. They still work to impact some of those underlying issues that can lead to crime. And then the five groups that got the largest chunk of the money uh, include the Bridge Inc., which is a ministry that works with children, the homeless, and other folks dealing with poverty. There's the faith-based organization Rocket Town, which works with under-resourced youth. Why We Can't Wait, which works with boys at the Napier Sudicum Housing Project. United Neighborhood Health Services, and then lastly, the Rafa Institute, which runs a diversion program with the juvenile court. All right. So what will you be looking out for next on this? Yeah. So this is not the only chunk of money uh, set aside for violence prevention efforts. City Council is also going to vote coming up uh, about a separate $1.5 million grant to start the first city-funded violence interruption pilot in North Nashville. It'll be overseen by the health department. And again, this is separate and different than that $2 million bucket that we were just talking about before, Uh, but the money is actually approved by a similar process. And right now, the Rafa Institute that I mentioned before that's already gotten about 40000 from the city uh, and Gideon's Army are being recommended to split that money in half. Uh, and it's worth noting, you know, the Rafa Institute is often working in the courts and, and doing community outreach in that way. But Gideon's Army has been doing that same kind of violence interruption work in uh, the Cumberland View neighborhood. All right. So big picture question for you here. What insight has this whole thing given you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's really hard as reporters. What we want to do is is make sure we're holding people accountable. And it's really hard to do that uh, when the information that's being given out is kind of vague. We want to keep track of this money. Uh, we know it's really important to the groups that are often spending their own money in order to keep their programming going uh, and make the city a better place for their neighbors. They're doing that work already. And now the city is talking about maybe giving them a, a boost that they need for their rent to keep the lights on, like mm-hmm. all of these really Salaries. basic. Yeah, yeah. But, 
you know, at times during this interview with Johnson, it was sort of unclear to me how important the funding aspect really was to him. When we're talking about money that has been set aside for for your projects, for the Community Safety Partnership Fund, for the community's work, versus money set aside for our police department, for example, I, I wonder if you feel like there is enough funding for the Community Safety well, Partnership Fund. Well, think about this. How much money would it cost for your life, like your life? Does money be what, co- what really tells and dictates? No. I don't think there's a number that I'll put on. Let me give you an example. My mother was murdered. Do you think you could give me any amount of money to make me feel any better? No. So, no, money to me has no relevance, like, period. Hmm. I think that all of us would just want to live in a safer city. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that the groups who are working on the ground, I think the money has a lot of relevance to them because yeah. they think that that's going to help us get there. Yeah, Paige Flager is WPLN's criminal justice reporter. You can find her story at WPLN.org. Paige, as always. Thanks for being here, and thanks for your reporting. Thanks for having me. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about school vouchers, what's been going on, and what are the legal challenges. Do you have kids in school? Are school vouchers good for education? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kalele Colonna, and this is Nashville. In late July, the state launched the Education Savings Account Program. The ESA program allows qualified parents to apply for vouchers that can be used to pay for private school tuition and other approved expenses. The act that created the program was actually passed in 2019, but it was challenged in court by the school districts in Davidson and Shelby counties. These are the only two counties where the vouchers are available. Needless to say, there are a lot of opinions out there. So to help get us some clarity on the program itself and why it's been challenged in court, I'd like to bring in my first guest. Mariah Timms is the justice reporter for The Tennessean and has been following the legal saga of this program. Mariah, thanks for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's start with the base definition of school vouchers. Can you explain to us what exactly school vouchers are? That's a great question, and it can vary depending on who is using that term and in what state and what's going on. So the way it's set up in Tennessee under this law that passed is it's supposed to be set up as education savings accounts. So you'll hear it referred to as ESAs in some situations. The idea is that, as you said, approved uh, families can go to approved schools and use certain public funding to help pay for tuition. um, And they'll do it through those accounts is the idea that they would be put into those accounts and the families can use them sort of as they need to on that front. So that's the gist of it. Okay, so this was a major priority for Governor Lee. What's the legal challenge of the education savings account programs? There's a couple elements to it. Um, The gist of the school board's argument against it is they feel that pulling money, as they see it, out of public school funding to go to private school funding doesn't help in situations uh, that they're facing right now. The idea, as Governor Lee and the supporters of this program have explained it, is that this would allow students uh, and families in underperforming, if you want to call it that, school districts, to use these funds to go elsewhere. And it's only applicable to uh, lower income families. So these would be families that, in theory, 
could not afford to pull their kids out of public school to go to private school in those situations that they had wanted to. So the whole idea there is it um, could give these families choices. That's that's why it's called school choice. That's the whole point of supporters' ideas here. The argument against that is uh, the school districts feel that's just pulling things away from the people who already need it, but more. Um, there are also families. There, there's a consolidated case here. There's are families who are arguing against this who feel that their students, their children who remain in schools might be harmed by these funds mm. leaving the public school district. So what's the current status? It's a great question. Um, so this whole program was paused for two years. It was passed, squeaked by in late 2019, and then was almost immediately blocked by the courts. And so the um, state education department couldn't work on it for two years. That most recent stay was lifted um, this summer, and they were able to start working on this in a very truncated timeline uh, right before the start of the school year. And it seems from what we're hearing from the education department that it is sort of slowly moving ahead. There are um, a couple dozen schools that have applied and been approved. There are some families that are going in, and it's important to note that those are significantly lower numbers than the amount of people who expressed interest. And it's not clear at this point whether that's people have pulled their interest, if they haven't been approved for one reason or another. There's a lot of questions in the air about how that works as everyone you know, nails down this program. It's working in a slightly different fashion than was set out in the law in this initial phase, um, probably because it was such a truncated fashion. There wasn't time to get bids in for different contract needs on this. Um, but it seems to be moving ahead while these challenges continue. So the lawsuit is ongoing, the, the consolidated lawsuit, and we may see changes as that continues. What about the objection that the program is only offered in Davidson and Shelby counties? That's sort of the gist of the, the school districts and the counties' objections to this case. They say it's unfair to target these two places. They say um, the metrics on which it was decided that they were the relevant underperforming schools. I'm using that as a catch-all phrase. There's a lot that goes into determining that score. Mm-hmm. Um, other schools and other districts have, you know, fallen below those requirements or met those requirements since then, and they are not affected by this. And they feel it unfairly targets them, and not just unfairly in a feelings hurt kind of way, but inequitably under the law is their argument. All right. So you said the legal battle is ongoing. What will you be looking for? That's a great question. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed so far is that judges have sort of skirted around the money question here. And that makes sense with where we are in this court case. It has not significantly been argued on the merits. There have just been back and forth significant ones that have gone all the way to the state Supreme Court about whether or not it should be blocked as it stands. But there is a question of will school districts have to count these students and fund as if they were there, creating phantom students in their school districts during the terms of this pilot program? And down the road, after the end of the three-year pilot program, where will the funding come from? These are all questions that continue to plague this case that haven't yet to be really delved into in the courts. And that's what I'm really interested to see where that lands. All right. Now that we've got the basics, let's get some perspective on how this program might affect education here in our state. Uh, To help us do that, I'd like to welcome my next guests. Tanya Coates is president of Tennessee Education Association, and Shaka Mitchell is the, the director of state strategy and advocacy for Tennessee Federation for Children. Thanks to you both for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Hey, Khalil. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting us. Really, really happy to have you both. So, you know, Tanya, what is the Tennessee Education Association stance on school vouchers? You know, it was laid out very well. So I appreciate you, um, one, for inviting us to get educators' voices to the room. As a 25-plus year veteran in the classroom, this is a real challenge um, 
for us when we are trying to do what's right for all students in the state of Tennessee. And we want to make sure it's fair and equitable and that our kids are getting the resources that they need and they deserve in the state of Tennessee. So when we think about this Education Savings Act, that they have um, this program that they want to actually have this voucher process in the state of Tennessee, and it's only affecting the two um, cities or counties in our state. It's unfortunate um, when we have this siphon of funds. So our, our position is always to make sure that we are providing all for all students in the state of Tennessee the right resources and, and, and make sure it's fair and equitable. And it's um, at this point, it's not fair and equitable. You were talking about, you know, you want to ensure the quality of education for all students in Tennessee and performance of schools is vital of this conversation. You know, can you give us a short recap on the National Assessment of Educational Progress and where Tennessee stands? So we have been deemed as one of the fastest growing in achievement um, throughout the United States. Um, but when it comes to funding for schools, we are on the bottom 10%. And so we are doing what is academically needed for our students in the state of Tennessee, but we are not actually, we don't have the funding. And so when the, when the governor and his administration says that we need to make sure that every school, every student has fair and um, a choice in education, they have some of the best choices in the state of Tennessee because we have academically met leaps and bounds of ensuring that our kids were ready prior to the pandemic. Um, and these gaps that we have in funding, we just need to get a better understanding. Our parents need to have a better understanding of the truth in advertising because we are not as failing as they say we are. Now, Shaka, how does Tennessee, the Tennessee Federation for Children, how does, how, how does that organization view school vouchers? Yeah, thanks, Khalil. Thanks for having me on. So uh, Tennessee Federation for Children is really in support of the Education Savings Account Program because we are in support of parents being able to choose the best educational setting for their children. So we are really school type agnostic, meaning if you select a zone, your zone public school, for a student or a private school, charter school, homeschool. Now, you know, now after COVID, we've, we're talking about pandemic pods and micro schools and all these other kind of creative things. We really don't care. We just believe that that, that choice should be the parents, the, the, the person, the parent or guardian who's in the best position to really assess the needs of their children. Um, and unfortunately, that wouldn't be an issue if those needs were already being met with our existing system. And um, for, for a myriad of reasons, those needs have not been met for decades in Nashville. So can you briefly explain, explain what the Tennessee Federation for Children does and your role there? Yeah, sure. So we are a, a national nonprofit organization. And what we do is we really advocate on behalf of uh, families, um, especially lower income families who want to access, you know, edu educational choice. And so we do that, whether it's a um, marketing program. So in this case, we help the Tennessee Department of Education market the ESA program to parents. You know, how, how are you going to tell people about it? So maybe it's doing community meetings and saying, here's how you would apply and um, submit your your application information. Um, we also advocate at the legislature because 
you know, to get a program, you need legislation to pass, um, uh, you know, pass through the chamber. And as was mentioned, this was a piece of legislation that right now uh, is only relevant in um, two parts of the of the state. Now, those two parts of the state account for about 20% of the students in the state of Tennessee. But I expect mm-hmm. that in the coming years, Tennessee is going to do what Arizona just did last month, which is make the program universal. So, so how do you see the program impacting Nashville and Davidson County? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really think it's not about money. If we're talking about money, we're talking about the wrong thing. We need to be talking about children and the children that have options. And when I think about my kids, my girls, especially over the past two years, I mean, two of my girls, and all of them, by the way, were in public school. Two of my girls were at home for 18 months. You know, we got a, we got a bonus week because we live in East Nashville, and so the tornado hit, and so we were out then also. They were at home, and they really struggled. Just this morning, I said to my 12-year-old, I said, hey, how would you describe that? And she said, she said, my teacher, she was talking about math. She said, my teacher was great, but I didn't learn anything when we were remote. That, that cannot be the answer. And to talk about, you asked about those NAEP scores. I don't want to bore your listeners with, with um, all that data. But to say that we are a fast-growing state, that is true. But fast-growing is, a, little, uh, is a, a bit of a mischaracterization. In Nashville only one in five students is on grade level in English and math. So we can do better. So I think the ESA, what the ESA is going to do is it's going to start providing options for some students, not all of them. I readily admit that. Um, We don't have that solution yet for all students, but boy, we got to get some of these babies out the river. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake-Alona. We're talking this hour about school vouchers and the status of the education savings account program that was launched in July. Now, you know, Tanya, how do you see the effects? Have you seen any effects on Davidson County schools with the ESA program? So I'm going to push back on a little um, that was just stated in regards to about you know, this, the process of actually ensuring that the ESA goes into the hands of parents so that they can have a choice. And in Davidson and in the Memphis Shelby County areas, parents already have a choice to send their school, send their, their child to a school of their choice within their district. Um, and so when we're taking those funds out and we're sending these, uh, sending our students to private charter schools or private schools, those funds are not being um, disseminated or utilized. And the parents don't understand all that comes with that. So when we talk about educating students, we have to think about the whole child. We have to know that ch- children have to be fed they need other resources or extracurricular activities that um, that are in public schools when it comes to music, the arts, because those those pieces actually help um, elevate students to be successful in um, our in our communities. So, um, when we are saying that this is only meant for students of low socioeconomic status. So I would ask those, you know, you're trying to get these vouchers into the hands of the most needed and they, we need them. Why couldn't we give those, those funds available in schools now? So I don't think most people know that are listening in that 
on an average that a student has $9,700 that is tagged to them to the state of Tennessee. Well, we, that every student in the state of Tennessee has $9,700 plus that are attached to them. But if they go to a private school or they go to a private charter school, they're going to need close to $20,000 just to meet the needs of those schools. And so there, it doesn't, the funds that they are actually putting it in the pockets of parents to actually that they're thinking that they're going to get the best resources for them. They already received those resources with their, with their public schools. Okay. And now um, I want to remind so, <laughs> listeners that under the education savings account program, the voucher amount per student is about $8,200 per year. Now, Tanya, let me ask you this. I mean, what should people know who don't know much about school vouchers? What should they really understand about this issue? They should really understand what am I getting for? What am I? Am I going to get the transportation to school every day? Am I going to get the my kid having a meal every day? Am I going to be able to if my child has um, extra services, if they have an IEP or am I going to get the physical therapy that I get at school? Will this be encompassing of this voucher program? And if it if they're not, they're actually setting themselves up for failure and sending their child off and then they're going to send them back. And what happens is those funds don't come back to public schools with them that we have to do. We have to continue to do more with less money than what we had started with. Shaka, what do you want people to know about school vouchers? Yeah. You know, in some ways I would uh, encourage parents to ask the same question that, that Tanya suggested, um, really know what you're getting. I think the difference between Tanya and I is that I trust parents to make that decision and to ask the questions. And what I mean by that is um, parents can ask the questions, uh, hey, is transportation provided? And guess what? In the in Nashville, most parents, I mean, the two uh, highly selective magnet schools in our district, MLK and Hume Fogg, they don't, they don't provide transportation and parents still figure out how to do it, right? Um, they don't provide special education services. In fact, the district outsources that to private uh, providers in many cases. Parents can figure out how to navigate this system. And, and by the way, that $8,000 or so, so a little bit more, as you mentioned, for each ESA, that follows the student. That is, um, that's real money. $8,000 will spend. And what I mean by that is that gets parents in many cases in the door and then with additional financial aid from schools, that's going to make the difference. I mean, you go down to walk down to Belmont or Vanderbilt right now, you don't have kids paying full freight, right? They are getting scholarships, they're getting grants, and they're making it work because we still believe that education is the way to access the American dream. So in a city where we are trying to get away from things like historical redlining in East Nashville, North Nashville, well, the way to do that, because uh, if you overlay the redlining maps with the school zone maps, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is um, if, if we want to break that cycle, we got to give parents some choice. All right. So parents have the choice. But how can the use of school vouchers help a family that just simply has fewer resources sure. to invest in education? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that most parents, most families actually would be um, probably surprised to learn that schools offer a lot of financial aid, private schools, I mean. Um, the other thing that a lot of folks would be maybe surprised to learn is that most private schools are not the 20,000, you know, plus range. Uh, in fact, I believe the average private school tuition in the state of Tennessee is about $12,000. 
most are, are much more what you'd call modest, right? The, the cost of operating a school, um, whether it's public or private, is, is about the same. And so most private schools are much more within range, okay? I do trust families to be able to... What about, private, what about private schools in Davidson County? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I mean, again, I think what we do, our mind goes to private schools like, um, you know, I, I don't mean to sort of put anybody on blast, right? But the tuition is what it is. I think our minds go to schools like Harpeth Hall or Ensworth or MBA. The reality is you have a lot of schools. I mean, you've got more Catholic schools. I think you've got 16, 17 diocesan schools in the, you know, St. Anne's right off off Charlotte, those are not five-figure tuitions. Um, those are those are much more modest, $8,000, $9,000, and they're willing to work with families to make it work. So, I, you know, I believe parents can navigate it. It's incumbent on the nonprofit community, just like we would, um, uh, we would educate people about services, whether it's housing services, whether it's um, accessing, you know, food uh, services, et cetera. Parents can navigate this. And Tanya, what are teachers' concerns, you know, about providing quality education to school students, public school are, students? So when you think about the things that we're concerned about as an educator is that we live up to our Constitution. And the Tennessee Constitution requires that the General Assembly provide free public schools and support and eligible standards for all systems for public schools. And so um, yet the, our priorities, we seem to get them out of when we're trying to put a number on students, that's just not just for our students. It's not equitable. We need to ensure that we are up with up, upholding the state's constitution, the United States constitution in regards to making sure that we're not diverting critical funds from public schools because um, educators now that we we have so many resources that in our state of Tennessee that we have the money to actually help families. Families have choices now. And I, I, I heard where our, our friend um, on the other side, um, we are going to agree to disagree that parents already have a choice. They already have are able to make the decisions and we need to make it where it's easier for them to know that we support them in getting a free education. Um, and because the state of Tennessee, we can afford it. And we need to make sure that we're providing for students instead of privatizing, um, just siphoning money out of the system when we should actually be helping our students in the state of Tennessee. Um, okay. And because we have some of the best educators and and that's where we are. Oh, that's where educators are at this point. That was Tanya Coates, president of the Tennessee Education Association. She was joined by Shaka Mitchell, director of state strategy and advocacy for Tennessee Federation for Children. And Mariah Timms, justice reporter for the Tennessean. Thanks to you all for being with us today. And thank you for this important conversation. Thank you. Thanks. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear from a few parents and hear their thoughts on school vouchers. Join the conversation. Do you support school vouchers? Why or why not? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. We've been talking this hour about school vouchers and our state's education savings account program. Earlier, we heard from education advocates. Now, let's hear from some parents. Jason Sparks lives in Nashville and is a parent of Metro Nashville Public School students. And Trisha Lucente lives in Franklin and is a parent of a first grader and founded Parents' Choice Tennessee. Jason, Trisha, thanks to you both for being with us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having thanks. us. So, you know, thanks. Glad to be here. Really good to have both of you here. You know, I want to begin by getting your perspectives on school vouchers. Jason, do you support school vouchers? I don't. Why? You know, I started out when I first moved to Nashville. I was on the the board of a private school here in town and, and coming, I went to public schools myself. So did my wife. My parents were both public school teachers and you know, I didn't really understand how things worked in Nashville. I was really surprised there were so many uh, private schools. I'd never seen anything like that before. And spending some time on the board of a private school, it was a great way to, to find out kind of what was all behind that. And I think these vouchers um, are fundamentally designed to defund public schools and public schools in general. And I really worry about the fact that it might be part of a, you know, really a bigger scheme to undermine public education in the state of Tennessee. Tricia, same question to you. Do you support school vouchers and why? I do. And I think that, you know, um, so obviously I have a parents education advocacy 501c3. And I think that parents have a constitutional right to you know, um, the 14th amendment says that we have the right to protect and, um, direct the care and upbringing and education of our children. And if we don't have any type of a choice, whether it be a charter school, a education savings program, or a magnet school, then I think that the state is overreaching. And I do think that public schools right now are failing children in the state of Tennessee and other places around the country. Do you have any concerns with school vouchers? I mean, naturally, with anything that the, you know, the government is doing, there's always good and bad things. I think with, um, I do think from the, the previous speakers that they, they don't give, you know, parents enough. Um, you kind of don't really, you're underestimating parents. Um, I don't buy the, the idea that they're, um, that a school choice program is taking money away from a school because schools have fixed costs, but there, you know, there's a lot of variable costs. So when, you know, some of the money goes towards the child, but when children leave the school, that some of the cost does go down, just like when children enroll in a school, some of the cost goes up. So I think that that's not being considered. And, and a lot of the administration that's fighting back against this, you know, I think they need to answer for what exactly are they doing with the budget and why, very clearly do they think that this is taking money away. And it, and I want to see that like line item. And that's something I do pay attention to in Williamson County. And I wish a lot of parents understood that more. Um, but yeah, there's always concern with anything that the, you know, the government is going to roll out because there's good and there's bad things part of it. Jason, I saw you shaking your head about fixed school, schools, fixed costs. Do you want to respond to anything? 
Yes, I, I trust the experts in our school system and our State Department of Education. And currently, the way that funding is calculated in the state is by the Basic Education Program, BP. Um, and so it is exactly calculated per student. Now, the new funding formula, I think, is has some probably ulterior motives for it down the road. But as it exists now, all funding is generated per student. And that's how money is allocated by the state currently. Now, you grew up in public schools, as you just said. I did. How did that inform your perspective? Well, I had a great public education and I was able to go to school with people from lots of different backgrounds and lots of different socioeconomic uh, differences. And it allowed me to become friends with and make friends with people I never would have had the opportunity to in the private school that I was on the board of. That was one thing that really concerned me about that school is there wasn't a variety of perspectives and races and religions and cultures. And that's what I had growing up and that's what I want for my kids. Now, Tricia, you helped create the organization Parents' Choice Tennessee. Tell us, what are the goals of that organization? Well, um, currently, we are we have filed a lawsuit against Williamson County School Board and several members of the administration, as well as our um, Tennessee Department of Education Commissioner, Penny Schwinn, over the curriculum Wit and Wisdom. So Wit and Wisdom is our... English language arts curriculum that's being used for K through five. It's actually used in Davidson County too. And Wit and Wisdom focuses on a political literacy and history lessons, and it does not teach any of the fundamentals of reading. It actually failed to meet state standards. It has topics like death and violence and suicide, and it's really a traumatic, you know, awful curriculum that we are fighting against. And part of my passion for school choice is we have no option to take our children away from these materials that many parents find not age appropriate and overstepping and they focus so much on feelings and they don't teach our kids to read. So, so is, it, schools, is it, sorry to interrupt you, is it fair to ask no, no, that, no. do you wish that these vouchers were available in your county? You know, I understand that it's going to go, um, I guess it will roll out eventually in, but I think that all kids could benefit from a choice to change, you know, change their children. I would like to see charter schools in our county. And, and I think that that could happen sooner than an ESA program, but the, the county is fighting against us. They just really refuse to give any options to parents who want something different for our kids. All you can do right now is take your child out of school and homeschool them or put them in private school. Uh, that's it. You can also, they give the solution of opting out of some of these materials, which means isolating your child to the library or to sit somewhere by themselves and, and independently read another lesson. And that's not a solution either. Okay. I'd like to introduce my next guest. Emily Masters represents Madison, Goodlettsville, and East Nashville on the Metro School Board. She's also a parent of NNPS students. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So what are you hearing from parents in your district about school vouchers? Um, the parents in my district are very opposed to school vouchers. Um, the ones who currently have children in public schools have a lot of concerns about how this program will pull funding from those schools, understanding that the state only funds about 30% of the funds that go into our Metro Nashville public schools right now. The other 70% comes from our Metro Nashville Davidson County taxpayers. 
I also hear from folks who maybe don't have children or whose children have already graduated out of the system that they are against this education savings program as well. What are they saying? They are saying that the problem with this is it's it's a very individualistic approach. It's about individual families getting to choose what they want for their children, which we are Folks are absolutely in support of that. But when we're talking about using public funds for that, public funds are to serve the greater good. They're to create an equitable access to public education for all children. So when we're talking about something like this voucher program, it comes down to that personal question, what do I individually want for my child? Should I be able to use taxpayer dollars to access that? So... We have nothing against folks choosing to homeschool, choosing private school, choosing charter schools, but there is a strong belief among my constituents, and I absolutely agree with them, that public funds should be used for public schools. Now, you're the legislative representative for MNPS schools. How have you approached the ESA in that role? So, you know, it's really interesting to me that this legislation targets only Memphis and Nashville. Um, especially when you consider that at one point it included some other counties, for example, Knox County. And it was only when the legislation was changed to remove Knox County from that that factor that the Knox County representative decided he would vote for the legislation. Hmm. So Knox County didn't want this for themselves, but it's fine for Nashville and Memphis. So that is very frustrating. And I think it's really about making sure that not just the legislators from our two counties are aware of what's going on in our public schools and how we are serving students, but we now are faced with making sure the entire state understands what it looks like to be a student, to be a teacher, to be a citizen in Davidson County or Shelby County. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about school vouchers and the Education Savings Account Program with Jason Sparks, Tricia Lucente, and Emily Masters. Now, Jason, do you know any parents who have recently taken their kids out of public school and enrolled them in private schools? I do, actually. I, I certainly have some friends that have made that decision. And How'd you um, respond? How'd you react to that? I, I don't think it's my right to judge for that. It, it makes me a little bit sad, to, to be honest, because I'm a big believer in public schools and, you know, where it's going. I do worry about at some private schools, especially some of the religious-based ones, you know, are they getting a complete education or is it being taught through, you know, one specific lens? But, you know, I don't judge them. The last couple of years were really tough. Um, everybody has to make their own decision. Uh, being a big supporter of public schools, um, I've been very happy with how Metro Nashville Public Schools has handled this. Nobody could do anything perfect, but they've done a really darn good job. Now, Tricia, one concern that opponents, opponents of school vouchers have is they feel that they're inequitable and target poor neighborhoods and families. What do you say to that? I actually think that because they target, um, you know, lower socioeconomic communities, that is giving them, I think that's more equitable because these are people that, you know, have less opportunity and have, do not have the funds to put their children in private school. And this is giving them the choice to do that if they want. You know, people should be able to use their tax dollars 
for what they want to do. You know, I, I know that it's public funds, but it's public funds that we've paid in. And I don't care where you come from or where you live, that money should be able to put wherever you want. And if I didn't have the means, I grew up where I, my mother would never have had the means. I was raised by a single mother and I did get to have a public education, but had she been able to afford a private school education, she would have. And I think that that is beneficial to any community, you know, children in public school right now in Davidson County and Shelby County, they have an 80% graduation rate. And that's embarrassing. That's disappointing. In private schools, kids have statistically a, you know, a higher graduation rate. They have higher SAT scores, ACT scores, and they have a higher, you know, probability of, of enrolling in college. So I don't see anything wrong with that. And I actually see it as very equitable. Emily, I'd like to get your response to that. Sure. I mean, I would like to point out that a lot of the outcomes um, that she's mentioning around private schools, it, it does relate also to socioeconomic status, that likelihood of graduating and that likelihood of going on to college. Um, I'd also like to point out that there there is absolutely no evidence nationwide that school voucher programs lead to better outcomes for students. There, there's simply nothing to point to that would give us that impression. Uh, we work hard in Metro Nashville Public Schools to serve all students and to offer that equitable access to education. Um, there's no improvement in test scores from voucher programs, and we are able to offer all of the necessary wraparound services that are important, especially to those lower socioeconomic status families to ensure that they can get to school, that they're getting the meals that they need when they're in school, that they're getting the SEL supports that they need in school. And, you know, it's interesting to me to think about um, this idea of opting out of public education because of some sort of objection to the curriculum materials when the there are no particular standards in private schools for what is going to be taught. Parents aren't going to have more control over that than they do in the public schools. But, you know, when it boils down to it, what we're talking about here is taking a larger public question. What is a good system of public education for children? And instead saying, oh, everyone individually should get to make that decision. We should get to pull out of a democratic civil society and instead base our decisions just on what we as individuals desire. And that is, as I learned in public school in Tennessee, not the way a democracy works. Now, Tricia, what are people missing when we have this conversation on school vouchers? What do you want them to know? I mean, I, it's a very interesting debate. And you know, there is a proven school choice. Florida has one of the states that has more school choice than any other state. And they have had a really successful run. We're talking charter schools, magnet schools, and and um, private schools. And so it is proven that it is a good option and that it has been beneficial to communities. And I just, there is a lot of opposition to the curriculum. And in private school, there's a lot of transparency. You know, parents, we have the opportunity to visit a private school, to ask them what they're teaching, to see everything they're doing, and to choose that. If not, we go to a different one. 
If not, we go to a different one. If not, we look at a charter. And that is the opportunity of a family to decide what's right for your individual child. We talk about the whole child. Well, the whole child is my child to decide what's best for him. And that may not be the same of what's best for my neighbor's child and, and their child and so on and so forth. So the idea that individually choosing what's best for your child is, is not a good idea is wild to me. It really is, you know. Okay. Uh, Jason, so. same question to you. Repeat it. I'm so sorry. What do you want people to know? What are we missing in this conversation about school vouchers? Got just over a minute left. Sure. So first of all, you know, just to talk about the transparency of what's in schools, you know, I know exactly what my kids are learning in public schools. And before we decide to take them, we went and toured a whole bunch of public schools. Unfortunately, not everybody takes that opportunity. And we stay in touch with you know, all of our teachers and we have that. I think the thing that people are missing really kind of playing onto that point is there's lots of wraparound pieces that come with public education. Like we were saying, the, you know, transportation to school, that's not included in these vouchers and it's not included by most private schools. Um, free appropriate public education, IEPs, those kinds of things are not necessarily supported in private schools. And you literally opt out of that by getting into these voucher programs. That is Mr. Jason Sparks. He's a parent. He was joined by Tricia Lucente, and they were also joined by Emily Masters, Metro School Board member. I want to thank you all for this conversation. Thank you all for joining us today. Really important. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour tomorrow. We'll explore the difficulties gaining access to benefits, what they have been for the community members who are disabled. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Feel better soon. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Annika Exum. The conversation does not end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. And tell us how you feel about school vouchers. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.